Money. Money. What comes to your mind when I say the word money? Cash, bills, what? Credit, debit card, check, overdraft, debt. It's in the mail. Some of you are saying, oh no, he's talking about money. I know I should have stayed home. That's what happens. And if you are a first-time guest today, please come back to our other 50 services during the year when I don't talk about money, just to let you know. Also, just to set everybody's mind at ease when I talk about money, I have no idea what, who gives what, and so I can be objective about who I offend equally. Okay, just so you know. I don't know what anybody gives. One of the common complaints of people regarding churches is all they talk about money. We, we don't talk about money very often, but we are going to do that. We did it two weeks ago, and we're going to talk about it today. This is the second message in a two-part series on stewardship. And it's impossible to talk about stewardship without talking about money. So let's review the, the stewardship, what stewardship is. A steward is defined as a person put in charge to manage another's household, estate, money, or possessions. What is stewardship? First of all, stewardship is a re- believer's response to God's love. He, he poured out so much to us and we respond in giving to him. It's also the believer's management of his life and possessions. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the pipe. I know it sounds kind of weird. If you weren't here, you need to go online and listen to it on SoundCloud on our website. The parable of the pipe. And I com- basically, I compared each of us to a length of PVC pipe through whom God pours his blessings and his resources. It's open on one end, and there's a valve on the other end that we control. God pours his blessings in, and we release them by opening the valve on the bottom. And we open them at different percentages, maybe 2% or 10%, 20%, or even more. God controls the inflow, and we control the outflow. And no one's ever empty. Just some receive more blessings because they give more or they release more blessings. God just keeps pouring and pouring. He only stops pouring blessings into us when we quit releasing those blessings. We looked at what right motives were for giving, and we looked at wrong motives for giving. And today, after talking about these principles of stewardship, we're going to talk about the most controversial of all the subjects, and that has to do with money, money. Now, there are more disagreements in marriage over money than almost any other thing. And everyone nodded, okay? Money has been responsible for more conflicts and breakdown in relationships than any other thing, and everyone Not it, okay? When we hear the money, most of us think mine. And everyone nodded. My money, don't touch it, whatever. Why are we so touchy when it comes to money? That's a question. First Timothy 6.10 says this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, not money, there's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. Money is amoral, or money is morally neutral. It's our attitude towards, or affection for, money that's another matter. Why do we get so defensive when someone raises the subject of money? Oh, because we love it so much. I like it, don't you like it? I like money, 
We might as well admit it. Now, my parents' generation was very private and secretive when it came to money. This generation, Gen X or Gen Z, doesn't know what money is. Basically, it's debit cards and it's, it's direct deposits and other kinds of things. We used to write checks. Um, not so much anymore. I remember uh, I was with, with my daughter. She was probably in college at that point in time. We were at the grocery store. I was writing a check, and she looked at me with this weird look and almost embarrassed and said, Dad, nobody writes checks anymore. You know, it was almost an embarrassing thing. Well, today we're going to talk about money. Tithing. Tithing, to be exact. What is our response when God says to us, show me the money? What is our response? Let's look at an Old Testament passage. It's in Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. It's on page 779 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Or it's the last book in the Old Testament, just before Matthew. Malachi 3. We're going to read 7 through 12. 7 through 12. Malachi 3. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. We're going to try to answer three things today. Look at three things. Number one, why should I tithe? Number two, what is God's guarantee if I tithe? It's our guarantee. What is his guarantee? And then number three, why don't Christians tithe? Let's start with why should I tithe? Why should I tithe? Letter A, it's biblical. It's biblical. In verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There's an unending controversy today about tithing. Isn't that Old Testament law? Uh, is that relevant for today? Aren't, aren't we under grace and not law? That's the question. Well, let's start by looking at old tithing in the Old Testament, and then we'll move on to the New Testament. In the Old Testament background, tithe comes from the Hebrew word asar, meaning to tithe. It's derived from the word signifying 10. That's where we get 10%. And the foundational principle of tithing is the acknowledgement that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. It includes property, possessions, money. And we as people, we're only stewards. We're managers of everything that God owns and he's given us to manage. And the tithe was a 10% token that brought honor to God and recognized him as the owner of everything. God said, I own everything, but all I require is 10%. By bringing in and giving me 10%, you show that you acknowledge that I own everything. And of course, we get to keep 90%, so that's a pretty good deal, I think. But it's an acknowledgement that God owns everything. It's an honor to him. The act of tithing was an admission and a demonstration of that belief. Tithing in the Old Testament did not begin with Moses or the Mosaic Law. 
A lot of people think it started with the Mosaic law. But in, before that, in Genesis 14, 18 to 20, we read this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram, later to be named Abraham, was the first one recorded to have given a tithe, and it was a 10% tithe to Melchizedek, a priest or king of Salem. One scholar writes this, one scholar says this, since tithing was practiced before, before the giving of the law of Moses, many have argued that it affords a timeless pattern for the Christian rather than being merely a part of the Old Testament ceremonial law. Some people say it was just ceremonial. It happened before ceremonial law. But then we had, have the ceremonial law, Le- Leviticus 2730. Uh, tithing was part of that. It says in, in 2730 of Leviticus, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. It is holy, meaning set apart, is to be set apart. In Deuteronomy 12, we won't look at that, but uh, it was, there, lists the giving of God the firstborn of herds, and Deuteronomy 26, giving God the first fruits of crops. So tithing was setting apart as holy, giving this to God, giving it to God. And it's quite a, actually quite a thought to, to think that the God of the universe made everything. He made, gave me and gave, gave me all this stuff. And I can actually give to God. I can actually give to God. Isn't that amazing? Now, when we give to God, it's not like the various religions that leave food at an altar for their gods to eat. If you look at Shintoism, Buddhism, and some of those Eastern mystic religions, they leave food for their gods or, or uh you know, people today leave cookies out for Santa Claus to eat when he comes, you know. It's not like that. We actually have a vehicle to which to give our tithe. God created a physical vehicle to receive the tithes, and it was called the storehouse. Giving a tithe to the storehouse is giving to God. God set up a storehouse in the Old Testament, and it was the temple, and it was given to the Levites and the priests. It was part of the religious system in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But tithing is biblical in the Old Testament. It's also biblical in the New Testament, number two, in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Okay? Now, they, he was addressing them for neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness, but he also, he also endorsed tithing of what they had. The command to tithe is in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And some feel the Old Testament's irrelevant today, so they, they kind of put that in the, in the past, but uh, it's, it's not true. The New Testament is a continuation and fulfillment of the Old Testament. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all scripture means the Old and New Testaments, all that, were, that, are, that are available to us. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Old Testament and New Testament, there's an incredible continuity between them. We would never understand the person and the work of Jesus without this thorough understanding of the nation of Israel, the sacrificial system, the ceremonial law, the, uh, God's interaction with his people. In fact, it's all called salvation history, which culminated in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we'll be celebrating in a couple of weeks. 
So the command to tithe is a timeless, timeless truth. The methods have changed, but the principles are the same. We don't live in an agrarian society, so we don't bring grain, sheep, or cattle to the church. At least most of the time, I don't think we do. Instead, we bring our currency, which is money. In the New Testament, they brought both produce and currency. You look at the widow's might, she gave money, they did other things. So, why should I tithe? Number one, it's biblical. It's biblical. Number two, letter B, it shows God's faithfulness. It shows God's faithfulness. Verse 10 says, test me in this. This is an incredible, incredible statement. God says, try it out. Give me a shot to prove myself to you. I will prove my faithfulness. Did you know that this is the only place in the entire Bible where we're told to test God? The only place. He said, test me. We are challenged to trust God for his faithfulness. And those of you who have consistently tithed can testify to God's faithfulness. I want you to hear from one of those people in our congregation that can testify to God's faithfulness through tithing. Chris Hedlund. Let's welcome Chris. <laughs> Thank you. So I wanted to talk about our family's tithing journey. When Tracy and I were first married, we did not tithe. And I was in charge of the budget, and we just didn't have the money for it. Um, we put our money in every week, but we didn't do 10% because we couldn't afford it. And Tracy wanted to, but I said, what do we, you know, it's, we don't have grocery money if we tithe. We don't have money for our electrical bill if we tithe. We just don't have the money to do it. And so I knew we should be, but I made all these excuses to why we shouldn't, you know, talking about, well, everything we give to charity is technically part of, you know, the money we put in the Salvation Army kettles, and we give the pastor a gift at Christmas, or we give $100 to a missionary, and all that re really should count. And are we mandated to do that 10%? Because that's Old Testament law anyway. And I put in $20. That's $20 more than God had before. So that should be. <laughs> and does God even need my money? Because he made me out of dirt. What does he need my money for? Yeah, this... He can do anything he wants. He can, he can make the money if he wants to. <laughs> but what I found is that God really didn't need my money. He wanted to be on the throne instead of my money. And when I looked in the Bible, the Bible clearly said, Jesus himself said, you should still be tithing. So, of course, I felt guilty about it. Well, Catholics call it guilt. Wesleyans call it being convicted. <laughs> so, finally, my wife is in charge of the budget. And she says to me, Chris, you know, what you say is very interesting, but what I'd rather do is what Jesus says. And I would like, to, now that I'm in charge of the budget, I'd like to tithe. I'd like to take that, that first 10% off and give that to God first and then make our budget out of what's left. And two times, the two things that grow me most spiritually, develop my spiritual maturity, are number one, when I finally do what my wife has been telling me to do for a long time, and number two is when I try to prove my wife wrong. And this story has both those elements. So she took over the budget and she wanted to give the first 10% to God and I said, well, Go ahead and, and let's try that. She said, let's just try it and see what happens. And I said, well, let's try that. And in my mind, I thought to myself, well, now she'll understand what I was saying. She'll see that we don't have money for it. 
she won't be able to pay the bills, we won't have money for food, and she'll understand why we weren't able to tithe all these years, and she'll stop nagging me about it. Well, it turns out that the opposite happened, and I got some more spiritual maturity out of it. In fact, what really happened was our money problems went away. We didn't need to call my mom anymore when we needed tires for our car. We didn't feel like we were living paycheck to paycheck. That 10% that we put on our expenses that I thought there's no way we can afford it, all of a sudden it felt like we had more money. And so when it says to test God, it really worked for us. I didn't think it would. I was surprised. And so I stand up here today for to say two things. Number one, I want to be grateful to God. I want to thank God for being faithful for us and taking care of our family, even when I was not faithful in the beginning. And so when we were faithful and we trusted him, he was faithful in his promises. And our family has learned that when you do test God, you are blessed, and the blessings do come, and the money that you don't think you have is all of a sudden there. Thank you, Chris. When Judy and I first got married, I was in seminary, and uh, I had a part-time job, and she joined me in northern Minnesota, and uh, our, my job didn't pay enough for the bills for everything, and Judy was trying to find work, and, and every month, um, our bills exceeded my income by $200. Now, it, sound, it doesn't sound like much now, but man, back then, it was, it was a significant amount, $200. And both Judy and I had been, had been raised in the church, and we had uh, been raised to tithe, and so we said, you know what? We're going to, by faith, we're going to test God, because it was very tangible. I put my list of the bills, and I put the income, and I said, we're $200 short. But God said tithe, so we did. We tithed. And for five months until I graduated and we went on out into full-time ministry, God provided $200 almost to the penny every single month. One was an unexpected tax refund. One, it, God's creative in how he does this stuff. One was an insurance claim on a piece of artwork that belonged to Judy, and it was stolen out of her mom's house. And, and the claim was settled, and they sent us $200. And it was okay because the artwork was given to her by an ex-boyfriend. So I said, that's okay. <laughs> then there was another thing that was a consignment sale. Of, uh, one of my, my sister-in-law had it, and all of a sudden it sold, and, and, and we got $200. Every month, God brought $200 in. Um, and, and I believe that as we tested God, as you've heard Chris and Tracy testing God and saying, we're going to test you in this, God proves himself faithful. Why tithe? It proves God's faithfulness. Also, it's fair. The rich and poor, much or little, everyone pays only 10%. It's not like income tax, tax brackets that go from zero to 40% or, or more, you know, Gordy could probably tell you how the, how the income tax brackets work and how there are some higher than some lower. And it's not always fair, is it, Gordy? No, it's not always fair. This goes light on the poor and the rich. Letter D, it's God's way of supporting the kingdom. How does God get his work done? How does he do his work? You know, God could have created money out of dirt, as Chris said. How does God get his work done? Through you and through me. Through the storehouse. 
In the Old Testament, the produce and herds were brought to the storehouse. They fed and clothed the Levites and priests, and their job was to do spiritual ministry to the people and to the Lord. They actually had people that were worshipers day and night, worshiping God in the temple day and night. It was, a, it was part of their occupation and what they did, their ministry. The storehouse was also a place where people came for physical needs, those that were unemployed or had crop failure. Today, the government provides some of those kinds of things, and, and uh, quite honestly, um, if, if everybody in the Church of Jesus Christ in America tithes, we wouldn't need welfare, we wouldn't need food banks, we wouldn't, everything could happen through the church. The reason those are out there is because we need to, and it's good that, that they're out, that's out there. And, and we, don't, we don't have the ability, we give to people that are in need within this church, but in benevolence, but when it comes to evaluating people's needs and their lifestyle and their priorities and some of those things, it's better to have Salvation Army, Goodwill, and food banks and other places out there that we and you contribute to so that happens as well. But it's a storehouse that exists for the people's needs. And 10% of our revenue that comes in goes to the district denomination to support the district, the national headquarters, and above and beyond. And beyond that, this church gives generously, probably about 15 to 20% above that to missions, foreign, foreign missions. The tithe belongs in the storehouse. He said, go to the storehouse. Offerings above your tithe can go outside to outside ministries and needs. We had the opportunity this last week, went to the Campus Crusade um, dinner, uh, talking about Campus Crusade for Crisis crew, CRU, and uh, their, their ministry to the college students on campuses. And I learned for the first time that we not only have 10,000 students at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, we have 15 plus or 16,000 students at the technical college, and we have about 9,000 at Stout, and it, it's like there's, there are like 40-some thousand college students within this radius, and that's a ministry. And we had an opportunity, in addition to our tithe that we bring here, to give outside of, of this. And that's the, those are offerings. Tithe belongs in the storehouse. Offerings belong other wells, other places. Why tithe? Letter E, it shows our priorities. Do we value God's work, the kingdom work? How we spend our money demonstrates our priorities. By the way, so, and some people will say, you know, um, I don't want to spend my tithe on ourselves, on the church. I want to spend it outside. Well, let me, let me say something. If this church is not missional, if all we do is just kind of, if this is all for me and all for you and it's just, that's all it's about, then let's just close the doors and give all our money out. But we are not, we are not existing for us. It's for those that are no, not here yet. We are missional. Our mission to make disciples and win people to Christ and bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church, to make disciples. It's not about us, it's about them. This church exists for those who are not yet here. So when you give tithes to the storehouse, unless we are, don't have a mission, it's missional and it's valid. Why tithe? That enables me to see God working in my life. Letter F. There are tangible ways we can see God, answering prayer, fulfilling his promises. You say it works. I tested God and he passed. He passed the test. Why tithe? Letter G. This is really interesting. A little jarring to some. It's stealing if we do not. It's stealing if we do not. Verse 8. In verse 8 it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes? In offerings. The 10% does not belong to me, it belongs to God. In fact, 
All of it belongs to God, but he only asks for 10%. Why tithe? Letter H. We do better with the nine-tenths with God's blessing than the ten-tenths without it. We do better with the nine-tenths with God's blessing than the ten-tenths without it. We heard that from Chris. They did better with their 90%. They did better, and they don't know how. How does that work? How does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know. God's economy is different than ours. He makes it work somehow. I don't understand it, but somehow it works. Now, just because we don't understand something doesn't mean we shouldn't try it. I go on Amazon.com and I click on Submit Order, bill my credit card, and a book comes to my office via delivery van. How does that work? I don't know. I just go on and click it. It says it will work, and it's proved to me over and over again. Every time I click Submit Order with Amazon.com, a book comes to, or whatever it is I order, comes to where I ask it to come. I don't know how it works. Does that keep me from ordering on Amazon? No, I tested it. It works, so I do it. I tested it. It works. I do it. Your $900 will go further with God than the $1,000 without him. Your $36,000 salary will go further with God than the $40,000 without his blessing. Your $90,000 income will go further than the $100,000 income without God. How does that work? I don't know. God said, try it. Test me. Test me. What if I'm a student and I don't make much money? What if I'm a student? I don't make much money. Well, J.D. Rockefeller said this, I quote, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. Wow. Start where you are. Start now. Train your children. Why tithe? Letter I. Unless I give it to God, Satan will take it out another way. Unless I give it to God, Satan will take it out another way. Verse 11 says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. Another one says, I will rebuke the devourer. Who is the devourer? The devourer is Satan. And in Malachi, in the Old Testament, the devourer came through in locusts and insects and pests and wild animals. They were all things that would devastate them physically and economically. One of the devourers of our income today that devastate us physically and economically, what are they? Medical bills, washers and dryers that go bad, cars, uh, the roof on our house, or we get termites or pests, or there's clothing that rips and stains and tears, or unexpected expenses and unexpected IRS taxes, trees or landscaping that dies and you have to replace. You know, there are all kinds of things that can devastate us physically and economically. And God has promised to rebuke the devourer if we tithe. That doesn't mean that your 1972 gremlin will last two million miles, necessarily. Yes, you know. But I do believe, and I've seen it, I do believe that God keeps cars running, appliances operational, clothing that lasts long till it's out of date, keeps our families healthy. Or what has happened to me before is when my car broke down, it was always within walking distance or it was in my garage. So it was really easy, I didn't get stranded. I can't explain that. 
Now, this doesn't mean that anybody that has troubles is not tithing. So if you look at anybody that has troubles with a car or something, you say, they're not tithing, they're not tithing. No, no, that's not what this is about, okay? This is about God rebuking the devourer for you, for you. And Satan would love to see our resources go to things that are worthless. Now, some would say, I give my time, and my time is worth money, okay? I've heard that a lot. I give my time, and my time is worth money. Let me say something. Time is worth money to you. Time is worth time to God. Let me repeat that. Time is worth money to you. Time is worth time to God. We are called to give time and money. Okay? Time is ministry, but not all ministry happens just here. It happens everywhere, dispersed. Whenever we see a command, one of the encouraging signs of, of Scripture, whenever there's a command, there's a promise. There's always, a, whenever there's a command, it's accompanied by a promise. And so this one carries that. Um, number two, what is God's guarantee if I tithe? What is God's guarantee? What does he guarantee to do? First of all, an overflow, letter A, overflow of blessings. This is an amazing promise. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Wow. A full pipe, so much blessing that it just pours in. You have no room for it. Now there's, a, there's some principles of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow. In other words, you plant corn, tulips, and beans. You reap corn, tulips, and beans. We also reap more than we sow. You plant wheat, and you get a big harvest. You plant apple trees, you get lots of apples. And we also reap later than we sow. You plant in the spring and reap in the fall. But the principle is that the blessing comes after we plant. The blessing comes after we sow. It doesn't come before. So if we want to see that, we must plant first. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Your barns overflowing. Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, it's, it's transversed in your notes and the first service is 1.11. It didn't make sense at all, but it's 11.1, 1, which says, think we got it. Yeah, we got the verse. Okay, cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will find it again. A business venture. Luke 6.38, I love this verse. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you need friendship, sow friendship. If you need joy, sow joy. If you need comfort, sow comfort. If you need encouragement, sow encouragement. If you need money, sow money. It's a promise guaranteed. Overflow of blessings. Secondly, a prevention, letter B, a prevention of money's erosion. And we covered that in the rebuke of the devourer, that there will be no waste. And then letter C, there's a recognizable blessing. Verse 12 says, then all the nations will call you blessed. People will recognize God's blessing in your life, and you can tell them why and who. You know, one of the most incredible things is when we get to share, I tested God and it worked. It worked. And other people will see that too. People will see, why, why, how did you guys get this together? You can talk to Chris and say, how did you guys get out of debt? How did this happen? How did this happen? 
um, we gave to God first. We tithed, and God blessed us. And blessings are more than just money and financial. They're family relationships. Our children succeed in school. There's good health. There's peace. There are lots and lots of blessings that come our way. He said, you won't be able to hold it. It's going to be too much. Well, why don't Christians tithe? This is number three, Roman numeral three. Four excuses. There are a lot more, but I'm just going to talk about three. I mean four. Letter A, tithing was for those under the law, and we are under grace. But tithing was instituted before the law. The question is, should I give more since I'm under grace than the Jew did under the law? Maybe so. The second excuse, I can't afford it. So when we're saying I can't afford to tithe, it's God doesn't know what he's talking about. I know he can handle creation and all that stuff, but he doesn't know finances. Okay. Really? Seriously? I can't afford it. You know, God, you handle your stuff and let me handle mine. No, he knows all of those things. Let us see, I'm in debt right now. Who isn't, actually? I know very few people. If you use, and, and you're, you, you may be debt-free except your utilities because every, every month you get a utility bill and so you use that much natural gas and that much. There's always something we owe. Except there was one guy I know that paid his utility bill ahead of time every year. Um, I, I would love to do that sometime. At the end of the year, he got a refund because he overpaid. But anyway, but debt. Debt is a difficult thing, but I know people who have given their way out of debt. They said, we're just going to give and give and give and watch what God does. Letter D, tithing is too legalistic. It's too legalistic. There was a family who went out to eat after Sunday church service one day, and the husband was complaining to his wife about the service. He said the vocalists weren't together, and the air conditioning was, wasn't working right. The ushers missed some cues. The slides were off, and the guitar and the bass weren't together with the drums. I mean, it, was, it wasn't really good. And his son answered him, and he said, ah, I thought it was a pretty good show for five bucks. How do we approach that? If you need that explained, I'll explain it later. So. <laughs> Tithing is too legalistic. Our attitude determines whether it's legalism or grace. I have to says it's legalism. I get to is grace. Three questions very quickly. Should I tithe on my gross or my net? Should I tithe on my gross or my net? How blessed do you want to be? Do you want to be blessed grossly or netly? That's the question. And number two, should, I, should all my tithe go to the church or to other things? The tithe belongs in the storehouse, your local church. Anything above is considered offerings to go as God directs you. But God directs us to tithe to the, to the storehouse. Number three, is tithe a maximum or minimum place to start? Because some people say, oh my goodness, what would happen if I did that? And, and at the risk of saying that it's okay to have graduated obedience, um, I would say if you're trying to figure out, can I trust God and test God? Uh, start with 3%, 5%, shoot for 7 10 shoot for that and say, I'm going to try, I'm going to test God. Maybe you don't have enough faith to test God and you need incremental steps. Take those steps and say, God, I'm going to test you in this and see. And watch what God does. And that's maybe a beginning. Just remember, whatever we sow, we reap. It's a principle. Bottom line, 
God doesn't, doesn't need our money. He wants you. Okay? The bottom line, he wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts and we love, and love him and fall in love with him, the most amazing things happen because then we respond out of love and devotion to him and we give to him. He wants you, all of us. And when we give to God, it's a powerful demonstration that he has all of us. So he says to us today, show me the money. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you give us guidelines and you give us the opportunity to, to build your kingdom. And we, we thank and praise you that you are a God who provides in, immeasurably, abundantly for all of us. And I pray, God, that you would make us a church of generosity, that we would be a people of generous hearts. We won't give out of obligation or some kind of uh, percentage-based uh, legalism, but that we would give because we want to give and we want to support your kingdom. Father, there are so much and so many resources that you've given every person in this church. And I pray that you would make us good stewards and good managers of every part that you've given us. Most of all, we want to give you our hearts and we praise you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?